Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, July 19th, 2023, and today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last week or so. And as we do each week, we take our questions that we answer here on the Roundup from our newsletter that comes out on Monday mornings. And we'll do a plug as we do each week for that. There are a couple of different ways you can subscribe. You can do that through our website at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. And I've dropped the link to the uh, website for that to uh, where you can drop in your uh, details to subscribe to that email version. But if you prefer to get it via uh, LinkedIn, uh, that's where I get a lot of my international ed news uh, outside of my many Google alerts. Uh, we also have a LinkedIn version of that same content uh, that has, between the two versions, has over 1,250 subscribers. So thanks so much for making this newsletter part of your international edification each week. And for those of you that aren't yet subscribed, please do so, so that you kind of have a head start on what's going to be coming each Wednesday. And this Wednesday, uh, we'll be coming to you, as we do each week, live from our home office. But next week, uh, we'll be on vacation, so there'll just be a quick uh, quick thoughts uh, uh, video uh, live on the 26th of Wednesday, the 26th of July. I'll share some thoughts on uh, after getting some downtime and a uh, chance to process everything that's been happening over the past few months in our field and getting ready for the next academic cycle that's about to begin. But uh, for those of you who haven't yet subscribed, please do con consider subscribing to the newsletter so you can get this content early. And thank you again, those who will also always watch live or when you can watch live and can contribute to the, the conversation. Uh, we try to answer all any questions you have live uh, and give you a shout out obviously for joining in uh, when we have you and know that you're online. So thanks again for being a part of that conversation. Uh, especially the, to those of you who watch on repeat. Obviously, we don't get the live interaction, but I hear from you whenever we connect in person. Uh, really appreciate the feedback on the Roundup and the newsletter. So thanks so much for, for, uh, for being a part of the SMIE consulting family. So let's get to our first question of the week, and that is, how can we recruit in Africa? Now, this is a topic that, uh, for, for many of my colleagues, Africa has long been an area that they've either uh, wanted to become more active in or have uh, have had uh, have, have committed to going either on tours or individual fairs some few have identified decent educational agents in the re in the continent some work exclusively with edusa some do a mix of both uh, so I appreciate all of those those of you who have had that uh, initiative to to get plugged in in Africa and make it a part of your uh, consult uh, your recruitment uh, portfolio in terms of where you go. Uh, but there is so much about Africa that most of us don't know, and particularly those that are newer to international uh, recruitment. Uh, and that is really the, the crux of why we're t having this question today. And how can we recruit in Africa? A lot of us want to, but we hear things about uh, high visa denial rates in sub-Saharan Africa. We hear issues of uh, corrupt agents and fraudulent documents being commonplace around the country, around the continent. Uh, so, what do you do, and how do you how do you go about uh, establishing a recruitment plan? 
I think the first thing uh, that you need to do is uh, refer to the experts in the region. And our folks, our friends at ICEF Monitor have uh, did an article this past week, and the link to which is in the article. It's about a new white paper uh, by Lume, uh, or Loom Student Advisory Services. Uh, has has a lot of great uh, content in it. The white paper itself, I've also dropped the link to that. Uh, has some fa fantastic uh, historical perspective that's important when you're recruiting in Africa, given its colonial past, uh, but also things to think about as you go forward, how n not monolithic Africa is. Obviously, you've got the Arab North, North Africa, and you've got West, East, and Central Africa. Southern Africa could be added into that as well, potentially. So there's a, a whole range of uh, folks uh, and types of students and types of countries that you're going to be uh, potentially recruiting students from. And the question is, how do you how do you recruit that well? Uh, and it has to. Uh, it may be uh, from from to the outside looking in as a university at UNLV. We're not active yet in Africa. Well, that is a goal of ours in the next three to five years. But uh, as based on uh, working with colleagues who've been active in the region for years, knowing the EDUSA community there very well and the history of strong reacts that they have, uh, we have two reacts in Africa now, Diane Weiss-Young, uh, based in uh, Nigeria, I think. And then, or maybe, maybe gone. Sorry, sorry, Diane. Uh, I know she may be moving around too as well, but still react for uh, West and Central Africa. Uh, and then newly appointed Elisa Moroni, formerly of Shoreline Community College, and now REACT for South, Southern and East Africa. So uh, those two, plus uh, we have uh, Melissa Deschamps and Karen, uh, Karen Bauer, who uh, are the REACTs for the Middle East region. I can't remember which of them right now oversees the North African region. I think it's Melissa. But uh, they each have their own perspectives on this uh, as well. On the, the differences, the different uh, regions of Africa that uh, are made up, that make up this fascinating continent. Uh, colleagues of mine have, have called it the new China in terms of population, uh, where they, uh, in term, by, by 2035, I think it is, uh, the, the numbers are that uh, uh, they will have, by 2030, excuse me, one out of every four people on the planet will aged. 15 to 24, so roughly college-age demographic, will live in Africa. So it's going to be that kind of a market, that kind of a, uh, a diverse, very diverse market that you want to have on your radar within the next five to seven years, uh, developing uh, ba a base of resources and contacts in the region that can help you navigate a very complex continent. Um, in addition to this, what, the, what I, why I focus on this white paper, and not only knowing how different, difficult and different uh, Africa is as a continent uh, to recruit in, uh, there are some stereotypes you need to think about and, and, and how, how, uh, how you pr promote yourself as an, as an institution, uh, that uh, there are still people out there, not necessarily international recruiters, God forbid, that still call Africa a country. It's clearly not. It's a continent, massive continent um, that can fit the entirety of the United States as well as a number of other European countries into Africa, into its uh, geographic area. Uh, that uh, they think that uh, uh, these, these stereotypes uh, in terms of poverty, corruption, inequality, uh, between classes, that type of thing, uh, the disparity of uh, the, the gaps in wealth from the five-star hotels that you might stay in when you go to recruit to the extreme uh, 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 
ghettos and poverty-stricken areas of major uh, urban areas. Those are, uh, those, are, those are stark contrasts that you have to reconcile. But uh, educational quality is different across the region as well, and it's not, uh, <clears throat> it's not a market that, uh, that oftentimes the students and the parents actually see themselves in marketing materials that we send out, and that's one of the comments uh, that, uh, that the white paper makes especially, is that Africa is not Asia or Latin America, that when they're thinking about studying abroad, they would like to know uh, if, it's, if there are people like them uh, studying at your institutions, as do all students from wherever they are in the world. And many of our brochures will have uh, uh, many Asian students, South Asian, East Asian, uh, Latin American students, uh, maybe some European students, uh, but or Caucasian students, but rarely you might have some multicultural students that represent African American students or other other communities, but Africans don't typically see themselves uh, in their in our brochures. And that's something we need to think about, is if we're going to market to students in that region, uh, we should be including uh, images of, the, of students like them, because ultimately that's what we want to portray for any student that comes to our universities and colleges, is they want to be able to see themselves as a student on your campus. And if they can't answer that question in, a part, in an affirmative way and in a very positive way, then they're probably not going to choose you. I almost, almost I guarantee they won't choose you unless they get a full scholarship and you're, and you're the best option for them that way. So let's think about our marketing to them. And in terms of uh, current students that you have uh, involved in live chats, that might be student ambassadors, having one from the region certainly will help to paint that picture for you. Testimonial videos from uh, successful graduates or current students, those are the kinds of things that can play and should play to students in the region that you're trying to target. Uh, most of us don't specifically target Africa, but we need to if we're going to be effective in drawing outside of the top name schools that get more applications than they know what to do with from the region. Uh, the challenge it for us as institutions if we're going to be taken seriously in, in market in Africa is having students like them represented in our materials, in our socials. And that's what they're looking at. Uh, they're looking at our websites. They're looking at our, our social media sites to gain information about whether it's a, a, a place where they might see themselves fitting in. And we all know about the, uh, the phenomenon of stealth applicants or stealth prospects that they go around and get all the information they need before they even reach out to apply. Uh, and that's something we need to think about is uh, what uh, we know what students are coming through the top of the funnel on the application side. We don't know how, how many students don't move forward through the process beyond prospect to apply because they don't see themselves represented in your in our content online. Uh, so that's what we really need to think about in, in terms of open reaching markets that were not active yet in uh, and that's uh, certainly one thing they point out. A fourth item that they mention is that trust is earned and uh, the study abroad um, tradition uh, is, is well entrenched in some countries in the world but in Africa it's not so much. Uh, the recruiting environment, as they say, in some African countries has, quote-unquote, been compared to the Wild West. Lots of agencies, schools, uh, primarily interested in making money, uh, and too little guidance available to families to help them guard against unscrupulous actors, unquote. And that puts the, puts the nail puts the nail on it, on the uh, pin in the cushion, whatever you want to call it, nails the, the problem that most of us have in dealing with Africa is knowing where to start. And that's really where the, the reputable actors uh, through 
Education USA through ICEF's um, uh, train, training that they provide to, act, to uh, agents, and then perhaps uh, they have, a re they have a, an agent workshop, um, a, for lack of a better term, speed dating event uh, they do in Africa for uh, institutions to connect with uh, African agents. So there's some vetting that goes through allowing those to be part of that process. Looking at RC certification as well is something for U.S. colleges that we want, we should think about. We'll talk more about agents in our next question, but as it relates to Africa, identifying quality actors in, in the field uh, in country are the ones that you really need to need to pay significant attention to. That's uh, it's in, in addition to the numbers that we're talking about, that we're one in four college-age students on the planet by 2030 will be, live on the continent of Africa. That should perk up your senses, perk up your spidey senses, whatever you want to call it, in terms of this is something we need to focus on. Um, that it should matter to, as a continent, it should matter to everyone. That's one of the fifth points that they make. That uh, what's important to do is conduct research before marketing your programs to parents and students in, in, in Africa, uh, in particular countries within Africa, accepting students uh, that would, without that knowing that they need a prep year, uh, that, so that might be a mistake, uh, enrolling students without having adequate support in place uh, in terms of language, academic, social, psychological support, that type of thing. So there's a lot that, uh, and the white paper is really worth a, worth a read to to kind of get your head around a lot of the issues and some of the economic factors in different countries in Tunisia, Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, Egypt, some of the bigger players uh, internationally, uh, what what that means for you. So uh, there's been uh, there's a lot that you can do, but uh, minimally you need to start with some of the uh, start with your attention on a few key markets. And obviously, if you're looking at Africa for, from a U.S. perspective, you know that Nigeria, you know that Kenya, you know that Ghana, you know that South Africa are, are the top four sending countries from Africa where uh, students, where universities uh, would might want to get plugged in to, to start uh, and just start small and build out from there. Uh, there may be hidden markets that you might have an alumni connection in that you can leverage to build credibility in a particular market. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can and should be doing as part of your overall recruitment that you can also apply effectively to Africa. So uh, there's a lot that you can, can and should do if you're going to take Africa uh, seriously in your recruitment strategies. But for now, uh, do want to at least get you get you the white paper link, get you the uh, ISEF article, and share some of those, uh, share some of the real important tips and uh, trends that you need to be focusing on as you're moving through uh, consideration of how to recruit in Africa. So that's a, a very complex one. Uh, we don't have a, we could do a whole whole roundup, probably two or three roundups just on Africa in terms of going into the details of where what where what would differentiate strategies in particular markets. But certainly there's there's so much to do to digest. But wanted to at least get that conversation started. Second question of the week: How should we treat educational agents? Now this is a a long-standing. Uh, question or, or debate in uh, the higher ed, higher ed circles, particularly in the United States. Uh, we know that educational agents have been a thing uh, for going on nearly 40 years. Uh, they started in, in Australia in the mid-80s. Uh, they have been uh, an important tool for Australian universities, British universities, Canadian universities, and increasingly U.S. Uh, universities to recruit uh, students to come to uh, their universities. So. 
And in the U.S., we, we're, in a, we're catching up with a lot of our Western colleagues in terms of how we uh, utilize agents. Uh, and how we treat them is also uh, of an, an issue. And I think this is something that uh, my, uh, my colleagues uh, at INTED, at ARC, talk about regularly, uh, about some of the quality control issues we need to have in place as we're vetting agents, bringing them into the fold. But more importantly, how do we treat them once they're, they're part of our recruitment team, basically. And, and in effect, that's what they are. Um, though they're outside the U.S., many of them, they are recruiting students in markets that you want to have come to the United States, uh, that, to your institution, that you want, uh, you need help in getting them, get the, getting those students in, interested in our institutions and then helping shepherd those students through the application process and through enrollment. So they be, have and should be seen, in my opinion, and in most enlightened international educators opinions they need to become and treated as part of your team and how do you do that uh, we uh, we can do you can do that in a number of ways and first uh, it's 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 all about uh, looking at them uh, as uh, as our colleagues at Intet have uh, have shared in a recent article about uh, humanizing uh, our educational agents uh, and that, what does that look like and the differentiating in terms of the kinds of agents you should work with versus the kinds of agents that are out there, aggregators, uh, one-stop shop places, small mom-and-pop shops versus these much larger uh, organisms that have grown up. Uh, the, there are, uh, and, even, and there are comments that uh, they make, uh, Inted makes in their article uh, that I've posted the link to, that uh, aggregators aren't all created equal as well. Uh, some are entirely digital. It's just a platform where agents uh, go to send their students. We don't really have any quality control as institutions over if we're partnering with an aggregator. Uh, we don't really have any quality control over who those agents are. They, uh, the, the individual aggregators will say that they do. They vet everybody. We don't know what that vetting looks like. We don't know how, what kind of quality control is done to make sure that they're all living up to uh, whatever standards they're being held to. Uh, that, so that's a real challenge. If it's just a digital platform where all these agents are, are sending their students and uh, getting commissions from, from the aggregator on the back end for the students that enroll in our institutions, we don't know really what the communications going to and from the aggregator to the agents, to the students, if any. Uh, we we kind of get lost. The universities kind of get lost in the, in the uh, very confusing landscape with aggregators. Uh, and even some of the larger players that are what I would call master agents, where they have uh, they have uh, agency offices in multiple countries, like IDP, for example, they uh, their staff are not commission-based staff. Their staff are salaried staff, and they work in particular regions, countries, cities uh, to recruit for IDP's partners. Uh, that are active in that country, uh, so that's that's one thing. Uh, that, so we we the the payments are done to IDP for students that enroll, but they're the pay the salaries are the the folks that are working with the students, advisors, counselors on a day to day basis. They are not paid by the head uh, for the students that enroll at our institutions. So that's a different model. There are agent agents that have multiple. Uh, sub-agents as part of their network in given countries like India, like Vietnam, uh, that may have very close control over uh, who those people are and how they're trained and how that. And the, the important thing, that only happens when you have relationships, human relationships uh, with these folks. 
And for me, at, at an institution that's just started using agents in the last two years uh, at UNLV, uh, I know that uh, we've set certain standards when we first began uh, soliciting agents to work with us. Is one, they're either ARC certified uh, or have some sort of other training, like an ISF training of that type of thing, or uh, they have been working for a long period of time uh, with uh, one of our peer institutions and they have have recommendations, rec recommended that they are legit, they're very uh, good to work with, all of those positive things you want to hear. So uh, the quality control of who you pick in the first place is important. Uh, but when you uh, decide to go with aggregators, what does that mean? Uh, in that raises a whole set of other issues. Uh, and in terms of work that you have to do and the return that you're getting from them, you may get a lot of communication, but not a lot of uh, return in terms of applications. So there's some real challenges there in terms of generating uh, interest that makes it worth your time and effort. It makes it worth their time and effort too. Is it? Uh, that's the point of the Intent article is, uh, is humanizing and realizing what um, they need in order to be able to uh, from you in order to be able to manage uh, the student inquiries uh, and everything else that they have coming through. Uh, they are also human too in terms of they are uh, they, some of them, particularly the smaller operations that maybe don't have the money to go ahead and get ARC certification because they're just not a smaller, they're just a smaller shop. Uh, they, um, uh, those, there are agents out there that are struggling to manage their own uh, relationships. Uh, there are some agents in India that uh, will have two, three hundred U.S. colleges that they're representing, and that's, that seems ridiculous. Why would you do that? Uh, there's no way you would ever be able to generate enough students to go to each of those institutions where it's going to be worth your while. You're doing that to showcase to the students that they have a lot of options that you're going to get paid for on the back end, but not necessarily providing the kind of quality and quantity control that uh, institutions are hoping for when they develop relationships with agents. One thing we've done uh, in terms of how we should treat agents, uh, as I mentioned, we, t we treat ours as partners. Uh, and that means uh, we have a, a newsletter that we, we uh, ask them to subscribe to that keeps them up to date on news and events that might be useful for them to know as, a as our agents, but also potentially that they can pass along to students uh, information on uh, upcoming online events that our grad college or undergrad admissions does in terms of virtual tours or paying for college, that type of thing. Uh, we have uh, hi highlights some students and fac international students and faculty each month that might be shareable to, to their students. Any video content that we get, we always put that in there that uh, can be forwarded on to prospective students. And that's, that necessitates on the, on the agent side an ability to forward. Uh, and manage that kind of content. Because so, I, I hope and I know we're not the only university that's having uh, providing regular newsletters or regular content to our agent partners for them to share. Uh, we also do trainings uh, twice a year when uh, before each semester begins. We'll talk through what the process is, how, it cha how it's changed, and any new agents that come on board with our partners. Uh, here's, here's, here's things that they, they, can, that they need to know about uh, in terms of who to talk to, who the contacts are, what the criteria if they've changed are. So that's all something we, we do twice a year, uh, providing a regular training. We make those resources, those training videos, uh, slide decks from the presentations, other marketing and branding resources, and we make that available in our newsletter that they have access to every month as well. So that kind of regular content is important for us to keep up the lines of communications. 
obviously there are the regular things you need to do with contracts and renewals and all of that type of thing, invoices for payments, and there'll be structures that you need to set up for that. And there may be two or three different people at each agency that you might have contact with throughout the year, some on admission stuff, some on contract stuff, some on financial stuff. So there's all these kinds of things that you need to balance effectively. And it makes me always think that we need a CRM to manage our agents. Uh, we just have spreadsheets we need to build that into, and that's one of the things I'll be taking to our, our, our enrollment managers and uh, our, our Salesforce folks and find, finding a way that we can plug in. Uh, we're getting now when students apply if they're connected to agencies, but we want to connect those also to agency records that we have uh, for communications on a regular basis, having who the day-to-day -day contacts are for admissions, uh, contracts and uh, financing information, who the lead head, the head person is who signs those contracts, all those. So we need to manage those, uh, our communication to them as well. And in case we have one-off uh, things we need to send out quickly, we want to have that list established, ready to go. We can just plug in the message and it gets out. Manage those conversations through a CRM on our own side. But also the agents need CRMs too, and particularly if they have multiple institutions that they're trying to cover and transferring information from institutions to students so that they're aware of everything that's going on. So it can be pretty piecemeal if you don't have something that helps you organize things well or a team that can help you organize things well. So uh, with our agents, they're they are human and the ones we should be working with most closely are the human ones. Uh, aggregators will say they're all humans but yes they, they're humans but are they ones that we can regularly interact with and meet uh, and get to know better um, and I, I keep telling my leadership uh, our, our the opportunities we have to meet in person uh, there are two in the U.S. that we have each year, and that, that'll be ARC and that'll be NAFSA, where the majority of our agents go to one or the, both of those. But we also need to take advantage of engaging next level with them. We can't just have a range of 30, 40 agents, send them all the, all the letters and communication we need and trainings that we need. We also need to engage with them in their own market uh, through uh, connecting them with our alumni, connecting with our current students when they're home for the summers, uh, connecting with us when we travel, and that's something I'm, uh, I'm going to have to start doing this year more of, uh, is working in market, particularly in India, Vietnam, uh, maybe other countries, Korea, Japan, China, doing more specific work with our, uh, our key agents in our key markets so that we can generate the numbers that we need to increase our enrollments. Uh, and uh, I know just having our, having our 30 or plus agents that we have, we have a certain number of applications we're getting every year. It's, it's our real first year of working with them all. We're now hoping year two, when we start doing more direct stuff with them out in the field, we're going to see a better return on our investment. So uh, that's something that we, I know we need to do more of. We're getting requests to do more of it all the time. I just need, uh, as one person, need to make the right choices in terms of where I go, when I go. So, uh, but I can only do that if I, if I ha establish these relationships with these agents so that they know who I am, they, I know who they are, that uh, I can call them up, ring them up when I have a concern and get an answer quickly. Those are the kinds of things that when you, when you have that with particular uh, agencies, you know you've got a good fit and you want to ma manage that very carefully and treat those folks uh, very well. So that's it for uh, that question. Our final question of the day is, will there be a soft landing for UK universities? And it seems like everything uh, that could go wrong has been going wrong for uh, UK uh, international ed friends over the last six months. Uh, when the Sunak government came into uh, power, there was all the talk about um, Sunak made a few 
promises or comments that got uh, were taken uh, very seriously by international educators and set off a lot, a lot of alarm bells uh, in the UK uh, for uh, what they call uh, a net migration problem, and that has to do with uh, the uh, the number of students, particularly for master's degrees, one-year master's degree programs that bring their family with them. Those numbers shot up through the last couple of years of the pandemic. And as a result, uh, the government who counts students in net migration and their dependents in net migration numbers uh, in terms of total volume of people coming into the country, non-immigrants or migrants, they're counting them in the same mix there, um, that, that there was too much of a strain on, those increases represent too much of a strain on uh, government resources, NHS, their health system, and other, other factors. So the government has now, uh, is banning as of, I think, the end of, after this fall, uh, will be banning dependents coming for anything other than PhD programs uh, with international students. So that is going to shut off certain markets uh, significantly in terms of the volume of students. Nigeria was one of those markets, India is another, uh, that had seen uh, the largest number of dependents coming. Uh, you also have a financial crisis that's going on at uh, UK universities. There's been uh, a total number of international applications has increased uh, to 138,000 about 2.4% over last year, uh, but domestic student applications have dropped. Uh, EU applications continue to drop. So although growth has come from non-EU sources, non-EU, non-UK sources, uh, and that is calling for, is, uh, it's calling on many to, uh, to rethink uh, the funding, uh, funding scheme for, uh, for higher education in, in England and the UK. So uh, what's going to come out of that? Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit a little bit of uncertainty there in terms of what that will look like. Um, that, that, that drought or that ban on non-PhD students dependents coming uh, is goes into place in January 24. So it's a whole huge sw uh, swing for huge rush for uh, students to come in this fall with dependents. So they'd be they'd still be okay. You also have, uh, so you've had this ban in place, you now have uh, a group of MPs uh, that want uh, the graduate route for international students, and that's the graduate work route. That was the two-year post-study work visa that was reintroduced in 2019, uh, after it had been taken out of, um, out of service uh, since 2012, so there's a seven-year gap. Uh, so that could be that was seen when that was brought back in as a big boon for UK-bound uh, international students. But now with that going away again, potentially that could be another huge uh, challenge for uh, for British uh, institutions. The other comment that Sunak made soon after he took office was the crackdown on poor quality degrees, what he calls rip-off degrees. And there's not there's not a whole lot of bones yet uh, that they have announced there is going to be a crackdown on these poor quality degrees. But uh, they, some are calling this short-sighted, that uh, it's going to present some real, what, what, what constitutes poor quality is going to be a very hotly debated topic. And in terms of the, the challenges, the, the Prime Minister has said, uh, Rishi Sunak, too many students are being sold a university education that won't get them a decent job at the end of it. Uh, so I'm cracking down on rip-off degrees and boosting apprenticeships to ensure students get the best deal possible. Widening access, boosting jobs, growing the economy. So that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the, 
what's going to become policy for the Sunak government and the implications of what that what our ripoff degrees and the, the thought is good that students are coming for university degrees that are don't lead to quality jobs uh, or jobs in their field and that's a, a real issue for a lot of countries really but the impact of what this is going to mean for international students interested in coming to the UK is quite significant so uh, there's a lot of details that still need to be worked out yet as to what that looks like and what low quality means in the UK but uh, count on that becoming a very uh, a nervous few months for institutions in the UK that have attracted uh, international students to those kinds of suspect or ripoff degrees whatever they may be so that's all we have for you today. Uh, I know it's not going to be a soft landing for our UK front friends in international ed, but uh, are, are certainly uh, will be thinking of them and uh, hoping for the best for them as well. So until next week where we'll be on vacation, uh, we'll be coming to you uh, live from Wisconsin, uh, where I'll be at an undisclosed location, uh, enjoying uh, some time off with my family. Uh, the following week, I'll be live on campus at UNLV for uh, quarterly uh, meetings with my colleagues in the Global Education Initiatives Unit at uh, UNLV as we talk next steps for our international projects. So looking forward to chatting with you again further, but until next time, we do wish you all the very best and have a great day. Cheers. <music>